I'm Scott. This is Gavin. And I'm Craig. Hey everyone, welcome to the Majors Mess Hall podcast. This is episode 75. I am Gavin, we got Craig and Scott as always. And on this episode, we've got a fantastic guest. He is from the Netflix show The Staircase, which is a fantastic documentary. In 2001, novelist Michael Peterson's wife died and he claimed she perished after falling down the stairs at their home. The medical examiner, however, determined that she had been beaten with a weapon which led to Peterson becoming suspect to what would become a murder investigation. The series, which begins with eight episodes in 2005, before being updated in 2013 and 2018, follows the investigation as it proceeds from Peterson's arrest to a verdict being reached in the ensuing trial. The real-life courtroom thriller offers a rare and revealing inside look at a high-profile murder trial, and an examination of contemporary American justice. And our guest from that show is, Scott? Criminal defense attorney, David Rudolph. He uh, he was Michael Peterson, the person that Gavin was just talking about. He was the person on trial for his perishing of, for the perishing of his wife's murder. Did he kill her? Did he not kill her? We don't know. You guys got to watch The Staircase because in the beginning, I thought he was guilty as hell, honestly. But by the end, my opinion swayed. I, I had to say no. Yeah, I felt the same. Like, initially, like, I mean, first of all, this this episode, is it's not spoiler-free. So if you haven't seen it, you should probably turn off now and go and watch it because... This is going to give away some things, and we. This is essentially for you to listen to after you've watched it, because what David talks to us about is some theories that uh, he thinks could be the way that she died, basically, and uh, they're not discussed within the show. So you really should watch it first. But anyway, it's the, the way she she's found. She's lying at the bottom of the stairs. She's covered in blood. It's not something you would see typically if someone falling down the stairs. She's got lacerations on her head. So. At first, you think, man, this guy's done it. But then when you start looking into it and you realise that once uh, you know they've done a post-mortem and they've examined the body, there's no actual damage to the skull or any broken bones at all. And no brain contusions. Nothing or... at all. Like, it's literally just skull lacerate, like lacerations on his scalp. Like, that's it. Like, and, and be, the, the scalp's like the fastest bleeding part of the body, essentially. But she was in a mess. Like, they show you the pictures and stuff and they play out the 911 call and it's crazy and... There's twists and turns, and it's really interesting. It's only 13 episodes, and I say only because the Making a Murder documentary, that was like, I can't remember exactly how many episodes that was, but that was big. That was a really, again, that's another fascinating documentary, but that's a lot bigger than this. Like, this is all condensed down into 13 episodes, but it's fantastic. Heck, we even talked to David about that case, you know. Yeah, we just, did, yeah, Making a Murder, you know, yeah. So you'll hear his opinion on that also. Yeah. So, but a uh, really good guy, I was you know, when you first said, hey, man, I got a guy, you, you should really watch this series. And then I turned to Netflix thinking it was a movie. And then I see it's 13 episodes and 48 minutes each. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what have you got me into? You know, but 
it hooks you, man. The first couple episodes are a little eh, but then it, it draws you in. Big time. You know? And he, Michael Peterson, honestly, I think he could write a criminal novel about this. Well, he's a novelist, so I would say definitely. I you mean, know, that's what but he is, he, is he doing that now? You know, from what from what Dave says, he just sitting at home or whatever. He said he was writing, though. He's writing a new novel, so you never know. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, like, let's just give a quick rundown of the actual show because, you know, if you haven't seen it, we will just give you a quick background on it. Uh, essentially, like, he, this, the trial goes on and he is found guilty and he's put away for eight years. And then after eight years, something comes to light, which is, Scott? Uh, the state state uh, criminal investigation, uh, his name's Dwayne Deamer. He was a, uh, like, the head blood splatter... Uh, specialist specialist it's kind of a weird name you know and uh and runoff and and all that he, you could see he you find out that he misleads the jury he lies about his job he's lied about what he's done and uh that <clears throat> gives hope to to david in helping michael you know try to clear his name you know, because in the other case, the guy was in prison for life, and it found out that this uh, Dwayne Deemer, he uh, he did the same thing, and they caught him, you know, lying. So that guy got off the hook, set free. So why not try Michael Peterson? You know, and then he he went on house arrest for two and a half years. Yeah, they let him out when he had to. He, he went on house arrest. He had like an ankle thing on where they keep tabs on him and stuff. He was on like home arrest. Uh, wasn't allowed to do basically anything and then after two years they basically said that this is unheard of to keep someone on on a tag for that long so they took him off the tag um and then eventually a new trial comes along and uh you know uh, i mean long story short he uh he gets out but he, he still has the the guilty verdict even to this day i mean from my opinion and scott's opinion he's an innocent man I mean, there's no way he committed this murder. Absolutely not. Especially, especially after talking to David. Now, what you're going to hear, he gives us uh, an alternate theory called the owl theory, which is just we won't talk about it now. But it's, it, I mean, I just think that that's definitely what happened. And after he told us about it, it totally made sense, man. And again, we're not going to spoil this owl theory because we can't do it justice. So, will it, uh, David, explain it in the end when you ask him? So, this is a good interview, guys. And uh, if you like that uh, criminal twist stuff and who done it, this is the episode to listen to. Definitely. So we'll go through to that now, and then afterwards we'll discuss it. And we will have some more crazy chat, and we'll even let Craig speak before he says anything. So let's go through now to our interview with criminal defense attorney David Rudolph from Netflix's The Staircase.
sorry, the uh, Skype thing didn't work. I just can't, I can't figure out how the fuck to, to get on it. <laughs> no worries. We have trouble all the time with this kind of thing. So, uh, I'm ha- you're you're a little fuzzy, so I'm having a little bit of trouble uh, understanding some of the words you're saying. Okay, well that could be the accent too. Hey, David, how you doing? Hey, well that's much clearer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta excuse his accent. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you, let me tell you, I was once interviewed by a journalist from Scotland, and I thought he was talking a foreign language. I could not, I literally could not understand a word the man said. It was bizarre. The Scottish accent is very difficult to understand. Yeah, it, it was, it, I mean, seriously, it was like, uh, it was like we weren't speaking the same language. <laughs> It's, it's kind of like interviewing Ozzy Osbourne or something. You just don't know what the hell he's saying. <laughs> so anyway, what, uh, t- tell me what you guys want to talk about, other than, other than the staircase, which I, I figure you want to talk about. Oh, okay. No problem, man. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the staircase just because it's like hit sensation all over again. Oh. Is, is, it your, is it your sense? That, you know, I don't have a real sense of, of how how popular it is because I'm sort of in the middle of it and uh, you know obviously people are contacting me but I don't know if that's just a really uh, finite sample of the population or whether it's uh, whether it's a indicative of, of what's going on so what's your sense of uh, of whether it's uh, caught on or not you know I, every, like at my workplace and all that and even on here we, we people start talking about the staircase and I'm like what the, what the hell's that? You know, so they're like, they're like, oh, it's a, another crime documentary. You know, Gav's like, you gotta watch it, and I'm like, not another one, Jesus. You know, making a murder, <laughs> making a murder documentary was long enough. You know, but uh, I, you know, I remember this when it all happened and and seeing it like on uh, the news and and all that, and man, from the beginning, I thought Michael was absolutely guilty, man. You know, and but when you watch it and see all the video, yeah, I swayed my my vote towards him, man. And he had a he had a lot of negative press. Like when you guys were halfway through and you had all the experts on the stand and all that, I thought, okay, Michael's going to be innocent on this one. And then Judge Hudson came back and said, uh, read the verdict, and I was floored by it. As I know you were. (laughs) You know how I felt it. I gotta ask, is it normal for a film crew to follow around a suspected murderer? Like, the whole case? No, no, it's it's very unusual. You know, I didn't know you guys went through, like, all the steps of, like, prepping on... You know, you guys had a specific person in there to talk about body language in the court things to say uh it was it was all weird to me you yeah. know well i mean that's uh, that that's uh, part of preparing a case it's all part of preparing a case because the jury is constantly looking at you uh and you and you just have to keep that in mind and then you know skip to the end how his sister-in-law kind of well she did turn on him in the beginning and I forget her name offhand, but she just flipped her wig on, on him. 
<laughs> she did uh, Candace. Yeah. yeah, she did. Uh, not just on not just on Mike, on me, on on the filmmakers, and on anyone else she could remember. She is. Uh, she's definitely the kind of woman that when you go to a restaurant, she asks to see the manager every single time. You can just tell she's one of those women. <laughs> Yes, a number of people have commented about that on my Twitter account. <laughs> I, I just, the whole thing just honestly fascinated me, man. And and I've never been swayed like that. You know, when you think you know something, you know, and, yep. and, and then you could see Michael, like, getting old through the video and... and jail is really getting you know is really bad absolutely absolutely i, I gotta ask because I, I don't know a lot of layman's terms and all that but what's the difference between a no contest plea and an alford plea i know you guys talked about it but sure yeah uh, a a no contest plea uh is essentially the equivalent of a guilty plea uh you're you're uh you're basically saying i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fight this uh, an offered plea, on the other hand, is a plea that you enter where you're saying, I am innocent. I'm innocent of this, but I'm entering this plea because, uh, you know, I can't go through the expense and the, and the trauma of another trial. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 72 years old. Uh, you know, I don't trust the system. Uh, but it's basically you're, you're uh, saying that you're still innocent but you're putting an end to the case. Uh, and then so it's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's, it was an important difference to Michael. So were you satisfied with the outcome then, with the alpha plea? You know, I was satisfied for Michael's sake. Uh, it was the right thing to do for him. Uh, you know, going back to trial, even if we won, would not have resulted in any practical difference in his life. Uh, you know, from an ego perspective, for me, it would have been nice to go back and win the trial. Uh, but, you know, I had to put my ego to one side. Uh, and, and, you know, the right thing to do for Mike was to put, put an end to the case. The way that the justice system works is obviously there's, well, it, it doesn't work really. I mean, we, we've established that. Has, has that ever made you feel like throwing in the towel and just, and just, giving up your job and finding something else to do does it ever put you off you, you know uh, that's an interesting question my wife and i have talked about that a lot because she's a criminal defense lawyer as well and and sometimes she feels like she's just uh, a cog uh you know in the machine uh but i've never felt that way uh you know i've always viewed myself as the sand in the cog of the machine uh, and, uh, you know, to the extent I can make even a little bit of a difference, uh, in the lives of whoever my clients may happen to be, uh, that's a pretty, that's a pretty important thing to me. So, you know, even if, uh, my client is, is found guilty of something, but I can save him some years off a sentence, uh, or, you know, uh, he is guilty, uh, but I can negotiate an agreement that uh, uh, is less onerous than it otherwise might be. Uh, I feel like I've done something for somebody. I mean, you know, to the same extent that uh, I guess a, uh, uh, you know, a doctor who treats cancer patients, uh, you know, uh, also uh, can feel like he's 
doing something worthwhile, even if his patients uh, don't ultimately recover. So uh, I've never really felt uh, like I wasn't making a difference in the lives of people, uh, and that was what was always important to me. What made you want to come back to do everything again after you called Michael and told him, you know, that you just couldn't do it? Um, it was really watching the hearing um, uh, where, you know, they, they tried to get the charges dismissed. Uh, and Mary Jude Darrow uh, was the lawyer who was representing Michael at that time. The, the lawyer who I had recommended, Mike Klinkison, had had a stroke. Uh, and so I hadn't selected Mary Jude Darrow. I didn't know who she was. Uh, and I watched that hearing. And then the next morning, uh, Mike Peterson called me, and he he asked me if I would get back involved in the case. Uh, and I just felt sort of a moral obligation at that point uh, to uh, to help him, uh, and so I did. Do you ever get sick and tired of like of of talking about this case? Because obviously, I mean, it's been many many years, and obviously, with it being released on Netflix, that's it's got to take its toll on you a little bit. You know, um, I didn't much enjoy talking about it between 2003 and 2011. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was a real burden on me uh, during that whole time period. Once we got him a new trial, uh, that burden was really lifted. Um, and I don't mind talking about it now, especially in light of the Netflix documentary, because... For me, the purpose of the documentary is really not to examine whether Michael is uh, guilty or whether the case has not been proven against him. For me, the real lesson of the of the documentary is the uh, the defects in the criminal justice system uh, and people understanding what those defects are. And also people understanding what the role of the criminal defense lawyer is in the system. Because uh, I think a lot of people really have negative uh, impressions of what criminal defense lawyers do. You know, we, we get the question all the time, how can you defend those people? Uh, and so for me, what's really important right now is that people are talking about what they see as the problems in the criminal justice system. Uh, and second of all, that people are saying, well, gee, I didn't realize that criminal defense lawyers do that kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, I might want to be a criminal defense lawyer. Uh, so that's really gratifying to me. Uh, and, and I don't mind talking about that at all. Do you think Michael's, like, sexuality really played a part? Or was it more of Dwayne Deemer? like misleading testimonies on this that played a bigger part than the, the homosexual thing? Um, you know, I think, uh, I think at the end of the day it was a combination of factors, and I'm not sure you can point to any one. Uh, you'd probably need to ask the jurors that question rather than me. But um, I think uh, the reality is that, that Dwayne Deaver's testimony was critical to the prosecution's case. Uh, and I think the Germany uh, evidence and the bisexuality evidence 
serve to uh, assassinate Michael's character uh, so that the jury could accept uh, Deaver's nonsense uh, and accept that that was proof beyond a reasonable get doubt. So I, I think the two really worked hand in hand. It's amazing how these people get away with stuff like that, you know, like just tampering with evidence and stuff. It's 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 so eye-opening, like, especially even like with the Stephen Avery case, like that was the first time I, I ever oh, realized yeah. that it was so screwed up. It's unbelievable. Yep. Yeah, you know, what, what ends up happening is uh, police officers sort of put on blinders, uh, and, and once they decide that they're right and they know what happened and they know who did it, uh, then the evidence that's inconsistent with that theory gets ignored. And if they need a little bit of additional evidence uh, to, uh, to make their case, uh, then they go ahead and, and, and fabricate that because, after all, you know, the ends justify the means. This is a bad guy, and so we're just taking him off the street. Uh, and, and that's really what happens. And, you know, I think that's, that's frankly what happened in the O.J. case, not to dredge up that again. But, uh, you know, it was clear that there was, there was fabricated evidence in the O.J. case, and I think that's what ended up convincing the jury to acquit him. You know, I don't think it, I don't think it was a question of reasonable doubt so much as it was anger at, at police misconduct. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly what I think happened in the Avery case. It's just that you had a, a rural jury who, uh, for some reason, just didn't care. Now, do you think with, like, everything that's going on in the States, you know, like, protest, protest, pro? I mean, everything's being protested and, and all that and, and Blue Lives Matter and all that. Do you think this, like, adds more fuel to the fire to not trust the law? Well, you know, you talk about fuel to the fire. I'm, you know, for me, it's it's adding light to the darkness. You know, uh, you know, I think that people need to make their own judgments about how much to trust government or the police or anyone else, and they need to make that judgment based on facts. Uh, and unfortunately. Uh, facts seem to be in short supply these days. Uh, you know, uh, everything uh, gets labeled a fake. Uh, but, but, you know, there are facts, and there, are, there is truth, uh, and there is reality. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think that to the extent, for example, that, that phone cameras now show that police officers, in fact, uh, shoot black men in the back, uh, for no reason, right. uh, as they're running away. Uh, you know, I don't see that as adding fuel to the fire. I see that as adding reality to people's experience. Uh, you know, those of us who worked in the system knew that for a long time. Uh, those of you who, uh, you know, didn't work in the system are just finding out about it. Uh, that doesn't mean it's just starting. It's happened for a long time. Yeah, it's just one big eye-opener. Yeah, I understand, and and that, you know, guess what? Uh, eyes need to be opened. Yeah, hundred percent. So going back to the Stephen Avery case, I'm just curious, what are your views on on that and the Brandon Dassey cases? Well, um, you know, as far as Brandon Dassey goes, I don't think there's any doubt that he was completely uninvolved in anything. 
so I, I just think that case is is a complete travesty. I think the lawyer who represented him when he confessed was a fool. Uh, I thought that that the uh, private investigator was uh, horrific, uh, and and I thought the two cops uh, just completely manipulated and took advantage of of Brandon, who as he owned, as he himself said was stupid, uh, you know, and may very well be partially autistic. Uh, you know, so that's, in my mind, that's that's just the worst of it. Uh, as far as Stephen Avery goes, you know, I don't know enough about the facts to really pass judgment. Uh, uh, but, you know, what was clear to me from watching the documentary is that, you know, that key got planted in his bedroom. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, and if that happened, then I believe that the, that the blood got planted in the car. Uh, and, you know, so once that starts happening, how can you trust anything, any of the evidence that the prosecution's putting forward? Uh, so for me, it's, it's not proven. You know, it's not so much that I, that I necessarily know that he's innocent or think that he's innocent. It's more you didn't prove it. Uh, and so I think that's a... That's uh, the equivalent of a not guilty. Do you think either of them will will ever get out? Boy, I don't know. Um, I, I was really hopeful that uh, that Brandon would get out when when he finally won his habeas. Yeah. Uh, and and the fact that the uh, that the appeals court uh, reversed that and then the Supreme Court refused to hear it was really disappointing to me. Uh, I just think it's pathetic that he's that he's in prison like that um i think he's he's at least got a shot to get out i'm told that there are some uh issues relating to uh stephen avery in terms of of hiding exculpatory evidence um that uh, that are now being raised for avery uh and uh and i it'll be interesting to see what that is apparently there was some evidence that would have helped to exculpate him uh that the prosecution never turned over yeah i heard that, does, that they're doing another series of it as well at some point uh that that's my understanding as well although i think that's been delayed somewhat right do you do you think like document series like this really helps people you know it gives people hope i know i i, I think it would you know that hey there's something not right here and if you have a good lawyer like yourself it would really help and all that, but there's some lawyers I think that don't care. They just are in it for the money, if that's fair to say. No, I think that is fair to say, and and uh, and there's some lawyers who, even if they care, are simply not very competent, uh, or they have a drug problem, or an alcohol problem, or or some other problem. So uh, you know, but that's that's the nature of any system that that depends on human beings. Um, uh, you know, where I think these documentaries help is, uh, as Gavin said, by opening people's eyes to, um, to the fact that not everything is necessarily as a prosecutor or a police officer claims it to be. And if that makes people a little bit more skeptical and a little bit more questioning of authority, uh, you know, I think that's a healthy thing. You know, certainly our founding fathers... Uh, and mothers uh, were were uh, very skeptical of authority. Uh, you know that's why we have the Constitution we have, and that's why 
we have the Bill of Rights. Um, you know, they, they had been oppressed. Uh, they didn't trust government. Uh, they didn't trust the authorities. They didn't trust the army. They didn't trust the police. Uh, and so they, they created a system of checks and balances, hopefully to, to keep all that uh, from, from uh, happening again. You know, and unfortunately, I think uh, 240 years later, it's probably happening again. Now, relating to the Michael Peterson case, can you explain to us what the owl theory is? Yes. Um, the owl theory uh, uh, is a theory that, that starts with the fact that Kathleen, after she left the pool, uh, went into the house and then went out to the front yard to set up some Christmas decorations. If you remember, this was... December 9th, um, and so uh, they were setting up Christmas decorations outside, right. uh, including a bunch of little uh, reindeer. Uh, and the theory is that uh, while she was out there, an owl, a barred owl, which uh, there were barred owls living in the woods around the Peterson home, uh, swooped down uh, either because she was near a nest or because uh, the owl thought uh, there was a food source down there. Uh, and uh, attacked her scalp uh, and caused at least the initial injuries to her scalp. Uh, and, and the scalp bleeds very heavily. Uh, there were some drops of blood uh, on the uh, outside uh, sidewalk leading up to the house, which we assumed had been from Michael coming out to look for the EMTs, but which now, in retrospect, uh, may very well have been the beginning of her bleeding uh, as she ran into the house. Uh, there was a bloody palm print uh, uh, on the front door uh, of the house, uh, which again we had assumed was Michael's as he was waiting for the EMT, but which now in retrospect may very well have been Kathleen's as she struggled to get into the house. Uh, and, I, and the theory is that, you know, bleeding, uh, she, she went into the house, she collapsed in the stairway, uh, lost consciousness. The scalp bleeds uh, more than any other part of the body. Um, you know, when, when you have bad scalp wounds, uh, you can bleed out in a matter of, you know, minutes. Um, and uh, uh, she then lost consciousness for a while. Uh, when she got up, if you remember, she also had been drinking and had some Valium. Yeah. Uh, uh, lost consciousness, got, got up, uh, there was blood all over the floor, uh, slipped in the blood, and we know that because uh, the bottoms of her feet were literally covered in blood, and so she, there had to have been a puddle of blood that she stood up into to cover the bottoms of her feet, uh, that she then uh, slipped on that blood, hit her head uh, once or twice, or you know maybe three times, trying to get up, uh, lost consciousness, and then bled out. Uh, so that's, that's the owl theory. Uh, it's really a combination of what we said at the trial in terms of what happened within the staircase uh, and uh, a further explanation of how some of those initial uh, scalp wounds were inflicted. Now, why was this never brought to the table in the trial? Because I never thought of it. Ah. I mean... It never crossed my mind. Well, it's so, I mean, it's so out there, isn't it? But but when you when you put it out there like that, that makes so much sense. It really does. 
Oh, you know, now that I, and you know, there was, there was a feather, uh, in her, in her hand. Uh, wow. and we assume, we assume that that must've been from, you know, a down pillow or something. Uh, you know, we could never make any sense of that, but it, you know, it didn't, it just didn't cross our minds that it was from a bird. Uh, you know, there was, there were twigs, uh, in dried blood, uh, we, I assume that must have been from the Christmas tree. Never occurred to me that it was from a tree outside. Um, you know, so there were all these little, little signs, which when you look back now and you put it all together, uh, make the owl theory a very plausible explanation for how she incurred those initial scalp wounds. Uh, but uh, at the time, Gavin, it just never crossed my mind to even think about that. And, and it really only came up when Larry Pollard, who was a neighbor who knew there were barred owls out there, uh, came to me like a day before the, uh, the closing arguments and made that suggestion. But by then, of course, it was just too late to do anything with it. I mean, it's such a bizarre and tragic chain of events you know for that for that to happen it's that you know why yes. would you think of it you know what i mean but when you when you put it out there like that it just makes perfect sense and it's absolutely fascinating that theory really does fascinate me it's it's pretty interesting um and uh, you know the way i look at it as a criminal defense lawyer the issue is not did an owl do that the issue is is that explanation for the initial scalp wounds plausible enough that it creates reasonable doubt uh, and and for me at least it does. So do you still keep in touch with Michael? Because to to be like that emotionally, you know, involved in somebody's life for so many years, it must be hard to to walk away. Yeah, no, no. Michael and I talk every once in a while. We're not, you know, we're not on the phone uh, every week. But uh, I'll call him to check in on him, see how he's doing. Uh, if something comes up, uh, he'll call me. So so we stay in touch. Uh, you know, I've been in touch with, uh, with his kids, uh, over the years and, uh, you know, even more recently. So, you know, I think I've, uh, I've sort of become a, a part of their uh, extended family. That's nice. How, how is he doing? He's doing fine for what he's been through. Um, and, uh, you know, he's living in a small apartment in Durham. His life is certainly very different than it was. Uh, but he doesn't mind that. Uh, he's writing. Uh, he's visiting his grandchildren. He's living on his military pension and uh, and his uh, social security. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, he's he's living life as best he can uh, after everything that's happened to him. Good. I'm I'm glad he's doing well. That's really nice to know. Before we wrap it and all that, just to change the subject real quick and all that, I ask every uh, every guest we have. What is the perfect pizza for you, man? Just so off. <laughs> the, the <laughs> Slightly off topic. Pizza for, yeah, no, the perfect <laughs> pizza for me is, uh, you know, there's a couple places in Little Italy in New York that make these really thin crust, crispy pizzas. Uh, and I can't remember the name of, of the places because I would plug them if I could. Um, but uh, that's the perfect pizza for me. I'm not a Chicago pizza guy. I'm sorry. Oh, oh wow. Oh. Chicago pizza's the best. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, 
it's it's like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> how about how about toppings? Top, I'm not a toppings guy. Just you know, shapes. I'm I'm a, I'm a pure. You know, for me, toppings is like you know it it ruins the whole idea. You know, I, I don't believe that back in the day when pizza was invented, anybody had you know all these toppings on top. You know, pineapples and I I I just don't buy that. Uh, you know, give me give me the fresh mozzarella, the really good marinara sauce, a little <laughs> bit of uh, a little bit of oregano, some uh, red pepper, and I'm good. So if somebody yeah. brought in an extra large pizza with all the toppings on it into the office, you would you sit there like a, a little baby and pick them all off? <laughs> I know, I just wouldn't eat it. Oh, really? It's ruined. Wow. It's ruined. Gavin's perfect pizza is really weird. It's, uh, what is it, barbecue chicken with sweet corn on it? Yeah, you just put a little bit of corn on top. Yeah, see, that, yeah, that's, that's not pizza. That's, like a, that's an American food or something. That's, that's a casserole. <laughs> we appreciate your time, David. We... Your story is very fascinating and what you do behind the scenes and all that. I, I thank you for, you know, even though you didn't know you were doing it, but teaching people on this documentary about the different terms and all that. And I really found it fascinating. I opened my, like I said, you totally changed my opinion on, on Michael. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so all much. Right, I, hope you're listen- I hope your listeners uh, enjoy the documentary. We're going to push the heck out of it. So, <laughs> Okay, you take care. All take right, care, David. Thanks very much. You too. Yep, right. bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This is Paul Bowell from Can't Pay, You'll Take It Away. And you're listening to Mages Mess Hall. That was our interview with David Rudolph and... Uh, I really enjoyed this, man, a lot more than I thought. You know, I was a little nervous because I'm not big at talking to attorneys. I don't know, man. You know, because I, I felt like I was going to be dumbed down, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. Like, I, I, you know, I was nervous as well because, like, he's not really in the, you know, entertainment industry. And we're normally talking to, like, musicians, actors, you know, authors and stuff like that. So it was a little different for us, and we didn't know what we were going to get. But like, I mean, he, he was really down to earth and very willing to talk to us about something that he's probably being talked to about all the time and being contacted about. Because I know he's done he's done a lot of interviews online and stuff. Because we've been reading up on it, and uh, you know, I was a little nervous. He was going to be a little bit like, "Geez, we're still talking about this," but he was fine. Well, you see how we started out, and he said, "So what are we? What do you boys want to talk about other than the Michael Peterson case?" Yeah, <laughs> didn't know what to say. So Scott was like, "Well, let's stick with that for now because <laughs> everyone wants to hear about that." So, like, I hurried up and jumped on Google to see what other cases he had, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm I'm curious to know, like like I said during, during this and all that, I, in the beginning I thought he was guilty. After watching all those episodes of The Staircase on Netflix, so make sure you watch it. I swayed my opinion, man, and I totally think different about him. You know, Michael Peterson and, and how David Rudolph made so much sense in telling us about his other theory that he had. Yeah, that owl theories, that I, I personally believe that that's 100% true. I'm just curious for the people listening at home, you know, and we are getting quite a following now, so we appreciate it. I'm just curious, you know, and you can even Twitter this. Do you think Michael Peterson was guilty 
or innocent after watching that. That's all I want to know. Yeah. You know. Maybe we'll people... do like we can do like a poll on the Twitter and you know guilty or not guilty and just see because I am curious to know what people think because you know like Scott said I'd like to start off with you think that he's guilty. But then afterwards, you're just like, there's no way he could have done that. It just doesn't make sense. Like, nothing really adds up. Even though, like, when you first hear, oh, she fell down the stairs covered in blood, you think, oh, he must have done it. But then when you actually go into it more, there's just no way. You know, people fall, do fall downstairs. We'll give them that, you know. But the massive amount of blood on the wall and, you know, it, it just, when you see the pictures and you're like, what the hell happened yeah, it was crazy, so. but that that owl theory, I mean, that's just, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I never heard about owls killing anyone before, so that was a first, but, I mean, it could happen, especially if, like, you go near the nest. I know the robins around there, they'll swoop you if you go near their nest and you've got eggs in there. Same with a blue jay, like, if a squirrel goes around a blue jay, the, the, the blue jay will sweep down and grab the squirrel and drop them. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> yeah. No pun intended. You know, the squirrel's trying to get away, and you see this blue jay grab it and just just drop it, man. So, you know, and you're like, oh god, don't don't fall, don't fall. And, but uh, yeah, so reading up and all that, as he was talking about it, I, I did find out that the owl is like number five on the list of uh, things to kill you, animals to kill you, man. Number five. Five. I didn't even think and that I- that'd be on the list. <coughs> Hey, you know, when you look at the size of their claws, and I, I have heard that they uh, they have attacked people, but I didn't think they would kill people. But I assume, like, the birds, if you're going by a nest, and it was around Christmas tree, you know, or Christmas time, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe she got too close to a nest. So if that's number five on the list, what, what, what are the other animals that are on the list? Oh, I think a cow was one of them. Fucking cow, how? stampede man you, you know a cow and then a fly a titsy fly just stand yeah. this cow just stands there shooting milk at you till you pass out hey <laughs> it may sound it may sound utter and possible but it, oh. it, it happens <laughs> pull the other one <laughs> Craig do you want to make up a, a cow pun a cow what pun mm, I don't have one you don't have any to say, no? No. That's fallen flat on its arse then, hasn't it? <laughs> so, I understand. It, it, it's it's late at night. You know, It, it is 12.30 over there, so... He's... Yeah, and he hasn't, he hasn't seen the documentaries, so... Yeah, well, listen, we haven't we haven't spoke to Craig, so I had a question I've got for you two. And uh, this, okay. just, this whole thing got me thinking that... Uh, have you ever been accused of anything that you've never done, that you never did, but you were blamed for? So... I want to ask Craig first because he hasn't spoke yet. Craig, have you ever been blamed for anything in your life that you were not guilty of? Probably loads, but I can think of a couple. Shoot, man. Tell us. Uh, I was at a New Year's Eve party, house party, with a, an old mate of mine. And uh, I got accused of spiking someone's drink. <laughs> Which I obviously, never, I obviously never did. <laughs> so what happened? Was, well, I, I think I got accused because uh, no one there knew who I was. I was kind of, I was kind of like, who's this guy? So 
Obviously, someone spiked this girl's drink, and I got the blame for it. <laughs> regular, regular Craig Cosby there. <laughs> man, that had to be it had to be rough to be accused of that, man. Back then, it was it was fine. It wasn't like a big thing. They got sorted the next <laughs> what day. Called a bin, mate. Did they kick you out? Did they make you leave? No, no. Uh, the girl did actually, I think she actually did go to hospital. There was an ambulance just after 12 o'clock. So you had not, there was no evidence at all, apart from the fact they didn't know you, that would suggest you did that? Nothing at all? Yeah, no, that was that, just that. Okay, so you said you had a few. Have you got another example? Uh, yeah, fucking, it always gets brought up, porn thing on your computer. Because you did, mate, the cartoon porn. Right, I had this laptop. I had this laptop, and it was. It, I used to let him, my cousin Dan, and my other friend Tommy use this computer. So, like, I had two, basically. I had a laptop and a computer. So I was on my laptop, they were on a computer. And, like, they had their own little files on there. And, like, one day I just had a little look, and in his file it said, I think it was called, like, File 88 or something. And I clicked on it, and it was full of, like, Fred Flintstone and Wilma getting it on. And like, I think there was a couple of like wife swap ones where like, like uh, Betty was with Fred, and like Barney was with Wilma, and then I think there was a couple of Simpsons ones in there as well, like incestual ones, really weird stuff. And it was in his file, and he's saying he never did it. Well, I guarantee it was shut down because it was probably there most of the time doing it. Don't know, mate. He said it wasn't him, and it I I seem to believe him. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Right, get David Rudolph <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> Sounds like a proper case. But didn't you? The reason why I think it was you was because you used to, and let's be honest now, there was a time when you used to watch manga porn. Because you did admit uh, that. Yeah, I used to watch manga and it did have like sex scenes and stuff like that in it, but it wasn't like pure porn. I know, that, well, that's why I, th- I thought it was you because you had like, you know, manga. Japanese yeah, characters were... getting it on. Yeah, you, Dan, everyone knew I liked manga, so. So, so yeah, so why wouldn't you like Hannah Barber getting it on? It's shit. Why would they go on your, your black PC and just say shitty pictures like that? I don't know, because it was back in the day, was, the internet was different, you had to save everything. Anyway, with that one, that case stays open, mate, because I'm still not convinced it wasn't you. <laughs> Have you got anything else? Uh, Fucking I'll hell. Think. I can think I want, Craig. Oh shit! Yeah. Um, Sexual so harassment. Been, yeah, it's been mentioned again. That's the bad one. Yeah. Go on, explain that. <laughs> Sounds fucking dead seedy, don't he? Yeah, After all these to, things, none of them are true. Something to explain. Just the girl just took it the wrong way. Yeah, but you were accused of sexual harassment, weren't you? Yeah, I was upset around her, so she obviously thought I was doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, because she knew you liked that, and you said something like. I've got no friends, or no one likes me, or something, and then I can't remember. Yeah, but then, nothing I said was towards sexual. She just said she felt uncomfortable around you, didn't she? So she has to be moved because she worked with you, and she requested to be moved onto another department. She felt harassed. Now I don't know what went on. All I know is we've got three scenarios here: one where you were accused of sexual harassment, another where you were accused of spiking some woman's drink, and another. When you were watching, porn. watching cartoon porn, you are Craig Weinstein. I'm certain. 
I was going to say, I'm starting to see a picture here, man. I know, yeah. <laughs> I just do things the wrong way and people just see it. Like, mm, what's he doing? A, Sounds like a fucking bad confession, don't it? I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to ask this, but uh, any more? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> so there is, he just doesn't want to say. Anyway, we're going off track here. So, Scott, what have you been accused of, mate, that you never did? You know, when, when you first brought this question up, I didn't think I was accused of anything that I didn't do. Now, I've done a lot of stuff, but never been accused of stuff that I didn't do. But anyway, I was in a Kmart when I was like nine years old. It's kind of like Walmart, but uh, I was trying. I was going to nick some G.I. Joe toys which are like three-and-a-half-inch action toys, you know, like army figures and all that. Yeah. So I, ha- I had a lot in my pocket. But I-, I noticed this dude kept, like, watching me, you know. So right away, kind of, even at nine, I-, I could figure something was wrong. So I went in the next uh, aisle, and I was dumping my pocket. And as soon as I took the last one out, the guy came around the corner. Well, he was actually undercover store uh, security. And he grabbed me, and he took me to the back room, asked me who my dad was or my mom was, and uh, went and got my dad, and I got accused of stealing toys. I was going to, but I did. So, <laughs> Typical uh, Scott Powers. Yeah, man, my dad beat the hell out of me. Did he? Yeah. Should have just took the fucking dolls for what, uh, all so that I- was worth. Went back like a week later and took them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, Craig, I, I got I got one in my hand right now. <laughs> Craig, what do you think of that man? Stealing stuff from shops. As you say, typical. Didn't you haven't you stole from shops, Craig? Yeah, I used to do the stealing thing back then. Well why couldn't you have a go at him then? <laughs> it's better than spiking people's drinks. I've never okay. stole anything, you know. I actually stole you just what I was going to and took them back. Uh, what did you steal, Craig? I was only, I was only stealing chocolates. Oh. Okay, uh, no. The last thing last thing I stole was a, a manga book. For God's sake. Because it, it was big back then. and then, uh, Actually, I think I did it a couple of times. So the last time, I think one of the staff think it was, they, they thought it was they knew it was me. So they were kind of like no, minding their own business, just doing what they do. Yeah. And I, and I took a book, and I walked out with it, and I, I actually got stopped. Did you? Yeah. Was this at the spa? Yeah. So what happened then? You got stopped. I got took to the back. It's the same what Scott did. Um, Dad got rang up, and Dad came up and just a little telling off, and went out. A little. T- I can't even imagine your dad telling you off at all. No, it didn't. <laughs> you stopped there. Fucking hell. So that was it? The police weren't called? No. Fucking hell. I wanted a juicy story there. I've never stole anything like that before. The worst I did was forge my bus pass, which I've spoke about before on here, which I won't go into. But um, the uh, the one thing that I was accused of that I never did, which stands out to me as a little bit unique, was the time uh, it involved me uh, upsetting the Disney Corporation. Um and what happened essentially was a, a friend of mine's ex-boyfriend works as like a runner on movies. And he was picked to, to work on the Muppet movie 
um, the one that uh, Ricky Gervais was in, so the Muppets Most Wanted is the name of it. And he, because he was on set and stuff, and like th- this was before anyone knew anything about what the film was about. They, all they knew was that Ricky Gervais and Tina Fey were in it. That was it. And he took two photographs, and one was of of Gonzo dressed in this like out like outfit, and the other was of uh, Tina Fey and Kermit, and. He sent them to his ex, because they're still friends. And then she knows how much I love the Muppets, so she sent them to me. And uh, she didn't tell me not to share them. She just said, like, he's took these pictures, like, I mean, how cool is this? So I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I was like, you know what? Like, these are the first images that have ever been seen from this movie. So I was like, I know what I'll do. I'll I'll share them with just two Muppets... um, Fan fan pages out there. One is called the Muppet Mindset, and the other is called Tough Pigs. And they're both like Tough Pigs is slightly bigger than the Muppet Mindset, but they're both really big in their own right, and like they've got a lot of followers and stuff. So I emailed the guys from from both of those places basically, and I said I got these photos, and they were like, "Oh, cool!" So I gave the photos, and uh, they put the photos up on their sites. And said that it was me that took them, even though I said that it wasn't me that worked on a set. So they tagged me and like Twitter and everything, saying, "Oh, these are from like uh, Gavin Thomas, 2015. Uh, he took them, and it wasn't me that fucking took them." So then, like Disney, seeing that these pictures have been put out there, so Disney were like essentially looking for me, and like they'd asked them to take the pictures down. And then, but since then, like websites like Perez Hilton, and uh, oh, there was another one as well. Like, oh, I can't remember. It was like one of those really big sort of you know, movie movie ones that is out there that you see all the time online. They'd put it up and they'd said that it was from me as well. So my name had been put on all these websites. And I'm like, shit myself, because I thought, what, Disney are going to, like, go lose the fucking flip over me. The next thing, you know, my friend messages me and says, what the fuck has happened? I've just got, got a call off my ex-boyfriend to say that the, the producers of the movie are going absolutely fucking crazy on set because these photos have been leaked like what happened and I was like I didn't I said all I did was share them with like a Muppets fan group because I didn't realise that I wasn't supposed to share them I just I I didn't realise I just fucking shared them and she was slightly annoyed but she wasn't really annoyed with me but this guy her ex-boyfriend could have lost his job so he had to keep his mouth shut but they were like trying to find out who had took the photos on set so essentially it was my fault but I like I'd been credited as being the one that took the photos which wasn't me so essentially the whole thing was caused because of me but really I was innocent because I didn't take them if that makes sense yeah makes sense man so but yeah I meant that man Disney could have came down on you hard big time I had people messaging me like Muppets fans saying like have you got any more pictures I was saying it wasn't me I didn't like me Twitter follower on Twitter went up a lot like I got like 400 new followers because of it and I was like I, was, I haven't done anything. It wasn't me. I didn't take them. They were just given to me. And of course, I wasn't going to name any names. So I just said somebody gave them to me, but I'm not naming who it was. And I was expecting a, like an email or something from Disney, and no one obviously contacted me. But man, that was scary. Yeah, that, that could have been bad. Okay, so uh, well, let's wrap wrap the episode up now because we've been talking enough. But uh, thanks again to David Rudolph for taking part and talking to us about uh, the staircase and obviously more importantly your favorite pizza. Hey, everybody loves pizza, right? <laughs> so anyway, but, uh, we will be back. We don't know. We haven't got a guest plan yet, but we'll be back for episode seventy-six. I can't believe we're, we're at seventy-six. That's incredible. Uh, we'll be back is. in two weeks' time, episode seventy-six. Uh, my final thoughts are: thanks for all the support that you've been showing us. Thanks for anyone who's purchased a t-shirt, and uh, you can you can 
purchase t-shirts from majorsmessall.com. Just go there and click on merchandise. It'll take you straight through to the amazing website that we uh, have all our t-shirts on. And, and we have gotten a lot of new followers. And again, thank you. We really appreciate it. If you like us, tell your friends about us and their family and all that. Well, not maybe not their family, but tell your friends about it because most likely they're the same like-minded as all of us. Crazy. Yep. So uh, they may enjoy the show also. And uh, thanks. Craig? My final thought is uh, I want to go to bed. Right, okay. That's fair enough. Okay, Craig, I'll see you shortly, mate, because I'm going to be flying over to the UK uh, for two weeks. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll take some photos, do some stuff with Craig. Nothing too much, but we'll, we'll do some funny stuff, put some videos out there. Craig's already rolling his eyes. And, uh, yeah, okay, guys, stay tuned for episode 76. Thanks again. All right, bye, guys. Bye. See ya.